White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 576. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, here we are again with the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by Andy Fix. How are you tonight, Andy? I am great, Van. How are you doing tonight? I'm better. I've had some rough times, some health issues, but I am better. I visited Dr. Franklin in the med lab. He hooked me up with some. Uh, he hooked me up with some uh, stimulants <laughs> that he prefers. You know, he got me some uh, Pakmara medications that are uh, supposed to help. So uh, I'm feeling much better, much better. Uh, he did hit on me though and ask if I wanted to go back to his quarters. So at least that was consistent. <laughs> He's non-discriminatory. Not yes. at all. He is. He is definitely very progressive. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Well. We've got uh, two interesting, I think, episodes. Uh, some stuff goes on in them that's more harrowing than I remembered, to be honest. These are a little deeper than I thought. They're not; These aren't Grand Slams tonight, but there's more there than I was expecting, and that's going to be fun to talk about. Um, I'm trying to see if we have any announcements, as always. We're going to get right on into the business, because I know that most folks that listen to podcasts, they want to hear the good stuff. They don't want to hear all the bad stuff. The only announcement I always make is just remember you got three options for listening to this show. If you want to hear it, uh, if you're listening to it on the White Rocket podcast, the White Rocket Entertainment Network general feed, that's fine. But you can get it a week earlier by listening to the Babylon, the White Rocket Babylon 5 review channel, which is you can either search for that on you know whatever podcast app you have. It's on all of them. Or go to babylon5review.podbean.com and that's where you can find it or b5review.com and that's where you can find them. You can also go there to become a patron. Uh, the, you know, your other option though is if you actually become a patron, Patreon patron of our shows you get the show even a few days earlier. You usually get it late in the week before the week I post it. So it's up to you but there are other benefits as well of, of being a Patreon member for us, and we will get to those as we continue along. Um, in fact, Andy, I had an idea. I had an idea for something we could do for the patrons and post up, you know, there like a couple of months early or something. And now it slipped my mind. <laughs> oh, no. I had this great idea. Oh, but we do have one announcement because uh, I shared this with you a few days ago. I located, I located, what's that noise is? Let me see. Do you hear something? I don't. Okay, it went away when you spoke, so it must have just been like a loop in the audio somewhere. All right, I'll reset. But we discovered something. I shared this with you the other day, which is that I found the um, my copies of the scripts for the unproduced Crusade episodes. 
so that when it comes, when we finally get to Crusade down the line a little bit, we will be able to review not just the episodes that were aired and produced, but also the ones that never, some of them, a couple that actually, and and plus the stories that JMS and uh, certain other people wrote. Uh, so we got more material coming than even just the show, which is pretty cool, huh? I agree. That, that sounds spectacular. I can't wait to see those. Yeah, I'm going to send you copies, and then we'll uh, and we'll be all set to go. Yeah, I, when I when I think of the other thing I thought of that we could do, I'll let you know. But right now, it's I can't remember. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's getting old. Sucks, any, sucks getting old. Oh, it does. It does. It does. So uh, that was really all the news I have. Do you have any news up front before we get into our first episode? I don't have any news. I'm I I, I live a very boring and dull life. That's the best kind sometimes, man. Come on. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the uh, Into the Greenwood podcast that uh, I was on, that I was a guest on for mm-hmm. the Robin Hood stuff just um, yesterday. And I listened. I had a chance to listen to it. It was a, it was a great show. I mean, not because of me, but, but it was just cool to be able to, to geek out over Robin Hood. So, uh, cool. yeah, if, if any of the podcast fans, any of the Babylon 5 podcast fans out there are interested, uh, there is a spectacular little uh, uh, podcast about uh, Robin Hood called Into Greenwood. That's just a lot of fun. So give that a give that a look. Well, I certainly am. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. So the only other thing is to remember, as always, we don't do spoilers during the body of the show, but we have spoiler space. We jump. We go through the jump gate. You'll hear the jump gate sound. We go through the jump gate toward the end and talk about any spoilers that we've kind of been holding up until that point, if there are any. All right. Without further ado, our tonight we're going to be looking at episode two eleven, all alone in the night, and two twelve acts of sacrifice. And these are interesting. These are kind of odd episodes. These are episodes that I'm like, there's some odd stuff going on in these episodes, and I'm really curious. I'm very curious because it's like when it's like the coming of shadows, I'm like 99% sure I know exactly how you're going to react to it. I'm, and I'm interested to hear the specifics, but I know, right? I know. Whereas with these, right. I'm like, I have no idea what Andy's going to say about these episodes because they're just weird, man. These are, these are oddball season two. We're still setting things up, but we're not paying anything off yet episodes. And they are interesting. So let's get into two alone all the night. Um, I'm going to let you do this one's description, and I'm going to do the other one, because I've actually made some notes for the other one more than this one. Fair enough. Uh, so in All Alone in the Night, um, Captain Sheridan goes on a Star Fury patrol, which is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he decides to go out because he wants to get the space beneath his legs again, he says. So he goes on a Star Fury patrol, and he gets kidnapped by some aliens. Uh, General Haig makes uh, an unofficial visit to the station, and we find out why that's unofficial. And the Len, which is, I, I would have thought this would have been the A story, but it's a C story. The <laughs> Len is called before the Great Council in response to her recent transformation. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so it's, it is interesting. This is kind of like you say, this is kind of an inverted episode where the A plot is the C plot and the C plot is the A plot. And it, it's, 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 a, it's an oddball episode. It, is a, it, it was written by Joe Straczynski, so it's, it's not like we can blame it on Larry Dottilio or somebody. Although that's always fun to blame it on Larry, but um, it's one of it's one of, <laughs> it's a JMS special, but it's odd. Um, and I have to use my I have to give my alien abduction joke here because I was a big fan of Kids in the Hall, the Canadian you know skit show years ago, and their final episode 
Uh, the two of the guys were dressed up like aliens. They had the aluminum silver suits on and the antennas and everything. And one of them, they're on, a, they're on their UFO, right? And one of them's got his clipboard of things they're going to do that day. And one's like, what are we supposed to do today? And the other one says, well, it looks like we're supposed to. And this, this, I'm saying this joke now because of what happens with Sheridan, right? The other one says, well, it looks like our, our job today is to abduct more humans and do anal probes. And the first one is like, man, we've been abducting humans and giving them anal probes for 50 years. And in all that time, the only thing we've learned from it is that 10% of them like it. <laughs> I love that joke so much. I love it. So, yeah, Alien Abduction episode, uh, directed by Mario DeLeo. I'm not really familiar with him. Uh, notable guest stars, Robert Foxworth makes his first appearance as General Haig. I can't re- Isn't this his first appearance? Second appearance. His first oh. appearance was when he ordered uh, uh, Sheridan to take over Babylon 5 and. That's right. Uh, first episode of season two. He that was. Right. It was just a brief video com thing, but he was he was definitely there. That's why I didn't remember him. It was so brief. But yeah, that's right. Um, we'll have more about this in the spoiler space. Uh, Marshall Teague as the Narn. Now, there's two things to say here. I don't think that these are spoilers. Um, Marshall Teague A was the guy who who was the victim of the, quote, infection, unquote, in season one. He was the alien monster guy. So he's back in a new role. Right. And number two, it's he's billed as the Narn in the credits, but he's Talon. He is right. the great Talon. He is the second coolest yep. of all Narn, second only to Jakar. Right. right. And he's one of the few Narns outside of the, the ambassador staff that actually gets more than one episode and isn't just a, a face on the vid screen. Yeah. I like Talon a lot. He's a, he's a crowd favorite. So like I said, I don't think it's a spoiler just to say that we'll see him again and people really like him. Yeah. And it's funny because when he shows up later, I didn't realize it was this guy. It should have, I should have realized because right. he carries a freaking samurai sword around and where he got that, I don't know, but right. he, car- he carries a samurai sword around and I'd like, I'm just, I guess I was thinking, look, it's another Narn with a samurai sword. <laughs> Um, and, and then we have Nick Corey as Lieutenant Ramirez. Oh, oh, oh. And Robin Sachs as Hedron, finally using that name. I don't, he's been on here before, but I don't think he actually was billed as Hedron. He was just like mysterious, annoying Minbari, basically. But now we know he is, as I like to call him, Max Hedron. And, um, it's funny because I actually have a novel in the Joe Nesbo detective Norwegian detective series on audible that he read it. He's the performer. And on the back, it lists all these things he's appeared on. I mean, he's appeared on everything, but guess what show it did not make any mention of, even though he's on several episodes. I'm guessing Babylon five doesn't mention he was ever on the show, which really annoyed me because I like him a lot as a really annoying pain in the butt. Minbari, you know, most let's be honest. Most Minbari, other than Delenn and Lanier, are pains in the butt on this show. Right. Especially the military cast ones. Yes. Yeah. They're always pains in the butt. Um, let's see. And then, of course, the great John Vickery is back as Neroon. I believe the last time we saw Neroon, he was telling Sinclair, you talk like a Minbari, Captain Commander. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was cool, right? We Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, He's Neroon a little more back. jerky in this episode than, than even... <laughs> previous ones oh he gets the haughtiness cranked up to 11 in this one he does it's true but i like john vickery um 
All right. So did I miss anybody or anything before we get into some random factoids? Uh, no, you did not. I think you got everybody. Oh, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, I have one random, random factoid, but other than that, I think you got all of the um, guest star. Okay, go ahead. What you got? My only factoid was the the alien um, race, the Stribes. Yes. Were named after Whitley Stryber, who did the uh, um, the novel Communion about uh, alien abduction. So, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of kind of fun because I read Communion <coughs> and enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, the guys the guys are pretty much a loon, but it was a it was a neat book, and uh, I I thought it was kind of fun to get a little shout out in here. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I had I did note that that JMS said the aliens from Grail, and I think he means the Vri, are similar to and distant relatives of the Strives, but not the same. A closer shot would have revealed red slitted eyes instead of the black eyes of the Vri. So he says the ones in Grail, but I think the ones in Grail were the Vri. So because that remember that was the one where they were the guy was suing the Vri for kidnapping his great grandfather or something. So right. there you go. Good deal. All right, good catch. Um, we learned that Mars has a Major League Baseball team. Thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting discussion. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, how would you do that? I thought that um, the, the smiling Johnny thing was interesting this time around. And let me tell you what I mean. We have commented before, you and I, on how Sheridan has spent much of this season so far being almost overly friendly and smiling and ingratiating, which is pretty much the opposite of Sinclair. I mean, Sinclair was all business, straight-laced all the time, which is why it was always such a relief when he would be with Catherine Sakai because that was the only time he kind of like, you could just see him deflate, right? We talked about that when, when, when Sinclair was around Catherine. But Sheridan's the opposite. Sheridan is very casual and friendly and smiling and happy-go-lucky, even during more serious moments, unless he's screaming at Jakar, but we'll get to that later. So I thought it was very interesting. Let me run through a couple of things. Susan mentions that General Haig will be arriving early, and she didn't even know he was coming, and she's kind of miffed about that. And Sheridan first kind of snaps at her, but then he suddenly, just on a dime, he turns and does the full smiling Johnny thing. And she's having none of it. And so she leaves. And as soon as she leaves, his smile goes away and he's frowning. And I'm like, ooh, that is really interesting that he goes right back to smiling Johnny. But as soon as she's gone, now he's serious. That's your first clue that something is up here. And we're going to find out something is up. Yep. I, yeah, I thought, I thought that, that was, was that was very yeah that was very well played on on the actor's part. I don't know if that was the director that drew that out of him or what, but yeah, that was that was well done. Mm-hmm. I, I I picked up on that too. It's it's one of those things that you never catch the first time. You you never would catch the first time, but having seen yep. it a couple of times and knowing what's going on, you're like and and, and knowing how this episode ends, you know, you're yep. like oh, and and I love the idea that this whole time he's been acting like a like they call him like the the, the golden retriever you know or something, he's been <laughs> acting like that because he's ingratiating himself with the crew so he can spy on them. Yeah, that took my legs out from under me the first time. I'm like, no, not Johnny. I like Johnny. Yeah. Don't make him a bad guy. And then you find out, well, that's not exactly okay. Right. Just just one scene. Just one scene later, you find out the. Yeah. He's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Grey Council now has four warrior cast members, three workers, and two religious. Yeah, I'm doing my math very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And so 
on any issue, they only need to win over one other member to have a majority. Right. The, the military can That's run the Gray Council if they get one vote from somebody else. Yep. Dang. That's that's bad. And that's that very good. very uh and that that really upset Delenn too, because yes. I mean that was just completely unprecedented. I mean that's like, you know, suddenly getting a, a, a another senator added for a party just because. Um I'm in fact adding something to the spoiler section right now. Um I'm just you'll hear me typing, isn't it exciting? <laughs> I have something to say about the military we can edit cast. This out. Yeah, but I probably won't. Okay, I just totally misspelled religion, but it doesn't matter because I'll know what I'm saying. Moving along. Um, ah, Nelson Drake was the name of the guy that Marshall Teague played in Infection. Uh, oh, oh, uh, I, I was going to say also the main gun. You'll like this. The main gun on the Agamemnon, dang, man, that's quite a gun. That's got a big boom to it. <sighs> they don't that play. Took, I mean, yeah, that took out the bad guy ship real quick. And the bad guy ship was, you know, early on in the episode, it was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty unbeatable. I mean, it, it was beating up on everybody. You know, took out Star Furies like they were nothing, and uh, the the Aggie comes in and just plows right through it. Well, I I thought that was interesting how earlier on when Haig says he's called for the Agamemnon, he says now we've got the firepower, we just need to know where to send it or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of big talk for an Earth ship, you know, we got the firepower. And that thing shows up and it unleashes that cannon. I'm like, I take it back. Excuse me, <laughs> General, you do definitely have the firepower on that sucker, man. Um, and then, Andy, there is an entire segment we need to do very quickly. I like to call it the dream sequence. You know, <laughs> this one wasn't as egregious as previous dream sequences were. I mean, it, it this one was much better done. It was still a little, uh, a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chintzy? But uh, it was definitely better than, than previous dream sequences. I have been breathlessly awaiting your, your verdict on this <laughs> Because I knew you didn't like him before, and I'm like, man, I wonder what he's going to say about this one. That's part of the fun of doing this show is figuring out what you're going to say and if it matches up to what I expect. <laughs> well, I have the whole blessed thing here. Let's run through it, shall we? And then we can comment. So, all right. Sheridan is in his quarters in his uniform. The lights are out. I'm going to go quickly. Ivanova is in the quarters yeah. with him in uniform, hair draped over her left shoulder. The door is open. She raises her fingers to her lips and says, shh. Sheridan looks confused. Now Ivanova has a raven on her right shoulder, and she says, Do you know who I am? Sheridan looks to his right and finds himself in a Babylon 5 corridor. He looks up on a catwalk in harsh lighting, gripping the railing, is another Sheridan. He looks to his right. Garibaldi, also apparently on the catwalk, is in uniform and has a dove on his left shoulder. The man in between is searching for you. Ivanova, in a veil and black dress, is standing behind Sheridan, who is now wearing a turtleneck and a jacket. As he turns, we get a brief glimpse of a metal pin on the left breast of his jacket, a Psychor badge. So Sheridan is dressed like a Psychor, uh, Psychop. Um, in fact, it is a Psychop uniform. Ivanova, still under a veil, says, You are the hand. Kosh is standing behind Sheridan in the corridor. Always excited to have a Kosh showing up, sighting in this kind of thing. And Kosh, Sheridan's back in his normal uniform. Sheridan starts to turn toward him. 
Uh, and it says, and this, I, this, I got this from the Lurker's Guide, in what seems like a simple switch of camera angles, Sheridan now appears to be sitting down in front of a backlit wall with an organic look, not unlike that of the interior of the Stribe ship. Why are you here, he asks. We were never away. For the first time, your mind is quiet enough to hear me. Now Sheridan is back in the corridor standing. Why am I? Now we would see, this is interesting. You would think he would say, why am I here? But he doesn't. He says, why am I here? Like he hadn't just asked, why are you here? He says, why am I here? And they even note it's a tone that makes the question sound unconnected to the previous one. I'm like, yes, 100%. And Kosh says, you have always been here. All right, Andy, what do we make of all that? I I don't know. It was so it was I mean it was weird, but maybe maybe in the uh the uh, spoiler section we can discuss it a little further, but I I couldn't figure out what they were trying to say. I couldn't piece it to any other episodes down the line or anything like that. So I I was just like, yeah, whatever. It it, it, it was it was it was weird. <laughs> What's your take on it? Well, I think there's a couple of things we can say. I, I, I put a note in the spoiler section to talk about the dream a little bit more because there's a couple of things we do know. But I think right now there's a couple of things we can say. The most obvious one is that it's when Sheridan is on, he's been abducted and he's sleeping more or less on the Stribe ship, right? He's away from everybody right. else. There are no humans really around him. He's relaxed. He's asleep probably. And Kosh says... Um, we were never away for the first time your mind is quiet enough to hear me. So what I take that to mean is that Kosh has tried to communicate with Sheridan through his mind before, and this is the first time that Sheridan has been able to hear him because he's away right. from all the distraction. All right. So that Interesting. That that's not a spoiler, that's just kind of an interpretation of something he says. And then, of course, why are you here? I have always, you have always been here. I mean, that's just the stuff that Kosh says a lot. So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that. The other th- part that really is puzzling, though, is all the symbolatry with the birds and the veil and him wearing the Psychor uniform, and um, that's the part I really don't have any idea about. Right. right. Maybe that was just the way Kosh communicates visually as well. <laughs> yeah. Well. <sighs> All right, hold on. Another spoiler thing I got to put in because you said that. Oh, um, so you were saying that you know Kosh communicates uh, by showing uh, visually, visually Sheridan and friends. I have a big spoiler for that. I cannot dare mention it yet. So I have a little thing that I'm going to say about that. All right. So you guys I- that are you guys that are either have already seen the show once, the the whole series. Or you're not really worried about spoilers. You're just enjoying hearing what Andy and I have to say about them regardless. Be sure to stick around for the spoiler space because I got a couple of, of, of things to drop on you that I haven't thought of before that Andy just made me think of. Andy, by the way, in addition to our lovely conversation every time, one of the other benefits of doing this show with you is that you, you actually help me think of things. You know what I mean? In, in addition to the stuff that you think of, you help me think of things. And that's really cool. So there, there's a good synergy. Very cool. Yes. All right, that's the dream. We'll come back to it a little bit later on. Um, I will say that JMS has said um, that Kosh was the one that sent those images into Sheridan's brain, so I think we can go ahead and understand that it was. 
and that there are several different Sheridans in the dream which could signify changes yet to come or changes currently happening. So we'll see. And there's, you know, some speculation that Sheridan might be a spy for the Psychor. And of course, when Haig shows up and is all mysterious, you're like, oh, is he in league with the Psychor? And Sheridan's working with that. So that was a little frightening uh, part. Um, let me see. Well, let's get into the categories then. Uh, what was your high point of this episode? Uh, my high point was at the very end with Sheridan debriefing his staff because we finally, it's like putting the band together, you know? There's, yeah. Everybody's finally on board. Everybody knows what's going on, and we're now pointing in the same direction. I thought that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I had the high point being everything pretty much from Sheridan and General Haig all the way through the, the little conspiracy meeting, and I noted the conspiracy of light begins because yep. we've known that there's dark conspiracies going on, the Psychor and the Shadows and the Centauri and all these bad things going on, but now we have a conspiracy of light. Perhaps right. they could put something together, like, I don't know, an army of light at some point, which would be, <laughs> be very helpful. Um, you know, it, yep. it's, it's interesting to note that when – and you're a writer too, so you, you, you might be familiar with this. When writing, um, uh, the plot, for the most part, the good guys are just reacting to the bad guys until almost the midpoint when they finally realize what's going on, piece it together, and start to fight back. This is getting very close to that point in, in the story. This is the first sign that mm -hmm. they're starting to piece things together and they're going to be able to take the fight to the bad guys rather than just react to the bad guys. And I love the idea. I love the, I mean, I just, I love that whole bit where, I mean, I may say it. Um, oh, it's coming up a little bit later. All right. What was your low point? Low point for me was uh, the Stribes appearance. It just yes. really cheap. <laughs> We're two for two. We're I'm, two for two tonight. Yes. Right. They, uh, they, they had. The, the long robes on to hide, you know, any body so they don't have to do anything funky with the body. That the headpiece looked like it came from, you know, a, a, a Halloween store. I mean, it was, you know, and I was thinking that that the interior of the ship was very basic and how they they designed it. You know, the, the, the set dressing was very basic, but effective. The Stribes costume, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, that is one thing that I'm looking forward to if we do indeed get a reboot is I'm curious to see how much more... Like, if you've ever seen Stargate Universe, when, when, when the humans from Stargate Universe are trapped on an alien ship with actual aliens, it is terrifying. Whereas this was like, oh, brother, <laughs> John's going to run right. over and whack this guy upside the head. He's going to, you know, there was nothing. The only thing really scary about the Stribe was their crazy surgical table. That's right. That's pretty disturbing, honestly. Especially when I right. just had surgery, like, you know, eight days ago. And I'm watching an episode going... <laughs> Uh, no, not what I want to be seeing right now, you know. Um, yeah, not cool. Um, okay, so yeah, we, have, we are two for two. We both agree. Did you have an Oren Zento, Ari Benzane overacting award this episode? I did not. I thought the acting was pretty solid all the way through. Yeah, the only thing I said even approached it, and I'm not giving the award, but the only thing I approached it was that Marshall Teague, I love him as Talon, but there were a few times where he was limping around and, and declaiming, and I'm like, yeah, you know. He'll kind of he's chewing on the scenery just a little bit, but it was pretty cheap scenery, so I guess that's okay. <laughs> do you do you have a most Babylon Five scene? Most Babylon Five scene, I would say, was the Hague debriefing uh, of Sheridan, I, because that that dropped a couple bombs, not 
Well, I, I guess it was a major bust. I mean, yeah. when Haig first assigned him to take over Babylon 5, I thought Haig, you know, was presented as somebody that was on board with the, the new president. And here he explains, you know, hey, you know, I'm on board with the old guy, the guy that was killed. So I'm not I'm not working for Clark. I'm working against Clark. Yeah. I thought that was pretty big. Um, and like you said, this was was when Sheridan formed the idea to to uh, start the the conspiracy of light. So and that that's is a pivotal moment in, in Babylon 5. My most Babylon 5 scene was um, I agree with you that that probably was. Uh, but I'd already kind of used it, so I said the Agamemnon blowing the crap out of the Stribe ship. That was a pretty Babylon Five ish moment too, and it's a very exciting moment. It's cool to get to see the uh, the uh, the Omega destroyers get to do something now and then. So I enjoyed that. Right. Favorite character moment from this one? For me, there was a lot of really good character moments, but for me, the one that touched me the most was uh, Lanier's loyalty to Delenn. Um, especially that very first scene when he said that he was he was going with her, um, because up until now Lanier had had been pretty reserved, pretty uh, meek, I guess would be a good word when when dealing with Delenn. In this one, you really get the feeling that that he is truly in love with her, and and he's very protective of her, and he even takes her hand and his at one point in time, and it it was it, it was more of a a, a, a one individual to another, not a subordinate to a superior. So I thought that was pretty cool evolution in Lanier's uh, character. I 100% agree, and I have words about that in the spoiler space, so I will hold off till then. Um, but you're absolutely right. My favorite character moment, um, I had two. Delenn telling the Grey Council how stupid they were was awesome. That's always fun when Delenn mm-hmm. gets on her high horse and starts smacking down people. Yep. And, and I love the whole idea that they base everything on obeying prophecy and yet they are so reluctant to admit when it's, but I mean, I understand it, right? Cause we always, you know, pe- people are kind of two of people are kind of two minds about this kind of thing. Some people will never agree or never admit when something like prophecy has come around. They're like, no, it, it can't be my generation. It can't be for me. This isn't real. It'll be later. So don't do anything now. It's later. It's somebody else. I'm not important enough. My generation, this is not the time. There are others that every people, every generation are like, this is it. The, the, the prophecy was all about us. This is the time, you know. And so it's interesting to see that the religious cast is like, oh, it's time, baby. And the military cast, who are the ones that would actually have to do something, are like, nah, it ain't time. This is nothing. This will pass, you know. So, I, I again, I have right. a little bit, little bit about that in spoiler space, too. But I just found that very interesting, the different viewpoint between the, the religious and the military cast. And, I, again, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that's not the last we will hear of that. That's pretty obvious, right? They're setting things up. Right. My other favorite character moment, very quickly, was when Haig tells Sheridan, as you were just talking about a minute ago, he said, I, I paraphrase this. I don't have it exact, but it's close to this. He says, we knew that Clark would put a jarhead in charge of this place. We both know you're not that, but your record makes you look like that. I thought that was a really good way of putting it. Right. Sheridan, and, and, Sheridan seems er, like it. Right. And earlier in that scene, what you, what you alluded to uh, er, uh, just a little bit ago, when Sheridan drops the smiling Johnny facade like that, you know, he, I mean, he turns on General Haig like real quick and said, okay, it's about damn time that yes. you gave me what the deal was. I mean, he, it was like a switch. And I, that, that's, that really hit me because it's like, oh, 
okay, so Smiling Johnny isn't isn't his real personality. It's 100%. just what he's doing. So yeah, I thought that was a, a neat Huge. little character moment. It, it was, and it, I think that it. Um, when you watch this show originally, having to wait a week or many weeks in between episodes, you know, or maybe having to track down the videotapes or whatever, it was hard to catch little moments like that. It was just something that happened in a conversation, and it probably went right over your head. I mean, me, I don't know about you. Whereas yeah. we watch it, watching them now, all these little things just stand out. You see, you know, people are always saying, I watched Babylon 5 for like the fifth time and I found new stuff. And I'm like, and I always right. thought, well, that's dumb. You can't find new stuff the fifth time. I'm like, this is probably like the sixth or seventh time I've watched it. And I'm finding a lot of new stuff watching it with you, you know, parallel. Yeah. So right. I don't think I ever caught any of that the first time or the second or the third or fourth or the fifth. <laughs> Absolutely, because like you said, you're you're watching it, you know, once one per week. You know, you're not streaming it. You don't have, you know, and, and I think our discussions help because we we pick out these things, and so yeah, you know, I, I've been watching for Smiling Johnny ever since you brought that up. Every moment that he's, you know, pulls out Smiling Johnny, I'm like, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. You know, fan was right. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I I think it I think um, doing the podcast with you and for the the people listening, um, I I think it might help them. As well, so yeah. I, I think that the technology is grand. It 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 changes the way we watch TV, and it, it changes old you know television shows that we rewatch. It it opens up a whole new a whole new way to watch them. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it changes the way we think about them for sure. Um, that is neat. Yeah. Um, funniest moment. I, I just go tell you right now. I didn't really have a funniest moment this episode. Did you? I didn't either. I you know I I do my notes right after. I watched the episode and I was staring at that one. I'm like, I didn't crack a smile once. And no. I went back and I rewatched the episode oh, <laughs> trying wow. to find a joke and I couldn't find anything. Yeah. That's really unusual, especially for JMA. He usually, I mean, we've talked about this before when, 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 when Sheridan or Sinclair has to do the heavy lifting, Ivanova gets the joke, the joke subplot, but she didn't really have a joke subplot. Right. All the other subplots were taken this time. Right. The only thing that I can think of is right there at the very end when she said, you know, I'm not, I'm normally not one to butt in, but yeah, I'll butt in this time, you know, when she's having her, her commitment to the conspiracy. So, and that one w- wasn't even really a joke. It was just yeah. kind of a funny little line. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. Who won the episode? I will have to say that Sheridan won this one. I mean, he, he got out of the, the, um, ship alive you know he was clued into the new the the new uh, paradigm of what's going on around him um his entire crew backed him up you know his, his command staff backed him up there at the very end and uh he made a new buddy with Taylon. so i think uh, i think he definitely won this episode yeah i had sheridan as well i also said Hague to a certain degree but join us in the spoiler space to find out if that's going to matter or not rating all right what was your? This is always fun for me. I always try to guess what you're going to say and had to figure out what I'm going to say. What was your rating for this one? Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. I gave this one three stars. Wow, three Ooh. stars. Yeah, I you know, it it the the a plot um and the c plot should have been much stronger or at least brought much more to the forefront. But I thought enough important stuff went on. Um, uh, uh, enough plot development went on for the overall arc that, that it bumped this one up at least a half star, if not a, a full star. And there wasn't anything really bad about this episode. I mean, it, it, it you know, there, there was no real parts where, you know, I'm like, oh boy, that was awful. So uh, it, it, it 
definitely deserves at least a 2 or a 2.5, and all the big reveals, the plot reveals, bump it up to a 3 for me. I gave it a 2.5 for reasons you just gave. I gave it, a, it, it was a 2 overall, but the final five minutes with the Conspiracy of Light pushed it up to a 2.5. I just, I guess the whole alien abduction thing, it, it really only seemed to exist so that Kosh could show him that dream, but then the dream didn't make a lot of sense. So like, well, then what did that accomplish for us? So I was just kind of frustrated with it. Right. It was definitely just a plot device. It didn't have anything to do with the overall arc of the episode or even of the the series. So yeah, the, it, we never really see the stripes again. They're, I don't think they're brought up again. They had a cool ship, but you know, we it's it, interesting. It, they weren't very impactful overall on the on the series as a whole. No, no. Um, all right. So that was two eleven all alone in the night, and uh, we will. Hey, can I say something about that? Oh, yeah. Let me, let me say something about that. Line has been dropped in the beginning of every episode with the opening, right? Mm-hmm. With, with uh, both Sinclair and with Cher. Yeah. I thought that that would, when, when they brought that into the title of, of an episode, I'm like, oh, here we go. Now we're, now we're all alone in the night. There's going to be something special. And it just wasn't that, that big of a deal. It was, oh, he was on a spaceship all alone in the night, I guess. I, I don't know. But, yeah. Um, or maybe I, I don't I don't know what why they used that title for this particular episode when that is seem seemed to be such an important part of of the themes of Babylon Five. Total agree, total agree. I thought about that a little bit too. I didn't put it in words quite the way you did, but but I think you're exactly right. It, it's it's something that we had heard over and over, and so when it finally does hit, you expect it to be like a signature episode, like Coming of Shadows was almost, and instead it right. was. You know, it was just like, okay, we learned a couple of cool things and we move on. So uh, they could have called this episode Sheridan Gets an Anal Probe. I mean, we <laughs> we, we, we do know he got a facial probe because he had, like, holes in his... Did you notice that? He had holes in his face after, yeah. the, after he got rescued. Right. I Dang, saw that. man. I saw that. I think that was, I think that was where the, the implant was going to be attached. I, oh, yeah. They, they, everybody got one but him. I was going to ask you. That was right. the thing I was going to ask. What happened that he didn't get one? I don't know. I don't know if they just forgot to, to put it on in makeup one day or what. But it, he had the scars as if he had one. Maybe, maybe they, maybe the the stripes just never got around to it before they, they started fighting the bad guys. I don't know. So they were just I, incompetent. I, I, I yeah, <laughs> they just weren't very good at doing what they did. No, Un- incompetent space abductors. That was a good point. Good stuff. All right. We got to thank our patrons real quickly. Um, To keep this show and others in our network going, all you got to do is become a patron. And all you got to do to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com if you want to. If you've already got a Patreon account, just add us in as one more that you support. We would appreciate it. Or you can go to www.b5review, B and the number five and review.com. It's got all of our previous episodes in little audio players, so you can listen to any of them in any order you want to. And that's where I've we post I posted a video a while back, and there's going to be some other features going in there as soon as I can remember whatever it was that I was going to ask uh, Andy about. Um, <laughs> but go to www.b5review.com, click on the button to become a patron, and your name will be called out or whatever you want to want me to say. I have to thank the folks who keep our shows going, like the White Rocket Babylon Five Review Podcast. They include, as always. Samuel Salvatore, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, Patrick Hayes, and Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, 
I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. <laughs> Logan Shilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, and our one-time and anonymous donors, we thank you all. No, I don't say that till the end. Very, very clever. Ha ha. Ann Canyon, AU Falling Up, Auburn Tiger Talk, Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby, who joined us for the uh, season one wrap-up. George Gaston, I was not expecting bow up the middle in the last play. Have a lot of our football supporters in here. Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Atsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lisa Hammett, Science Officer, Mickey B, Algorithm, Paul Miles, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Tank Hunter. Plus, we also have to thank, there goes Davis, Valiant Hermes, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Around the Bowl and Down the Hole, RTR, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Brian the Albanese, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. That's the V section. Coach O is going to end up living in a van down by the river. Well, that's probably true. Colby Butler, Terrace Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, uh, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Heather, and Yancey Steingraber. Helping Van upgrade his insulation. Thank you very much. We need that. Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan. As you could say helping Andy get a new microphone. Uh, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, <laughs> Mike Finley. NC State is as real as a shirtless Bruce Pearl. That's probably true, too. Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, this is the year. Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry. Van needs to listen to hellbentatl.com. This, again, is a brilliant strategy. Put your website URL in your name, and I'll have to read it. Uh, Weagle87. And Alex Nguyen, and finally, the last few, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, C. Braun, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, come to think of it, Andy Fix is also deficient. Why does Bob Sammons listen to this show? Construction <laughs> Tiger, Daniel Barnett, <laughs> David Smiley, dibs on the next couch fry. Oh, that's very funny. Again, my TV commercial. Elizabeth Donald, excuse me, okay. Ice Cream Clone, I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jason, the Weasel Skull, Albrecht. John Samuel Schenker sells seashells by the seashore. John Stubbs, John Zavachin, John Soundboard, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead. Hey, there's, jar, there's another Jarhead. How about that? Justin Bean, Kenneth Brent Rains, Michael Halbrook, Michael O'Connor, MVP, Captivating Kathy Bright, who got us that awesome audio drop from Stan White. Yes, thank you, Kathy. She got us an audio clip from a quarterback for our football show, and we're very excited. Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland. That's the truth, Ruth. Spanky Big Boutet, John and Vanner, Monkey Boys, and Andy, too. Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brant Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time, and this time I mean it, our one-time... Anonymous donors. That's a lot of names to thank, but you know what? I'm not leaving anybody out because they all support us every month and make this show and other shows that we do possible. And by the way, Andy, we are now we are now 11, unless we lose some, and you know, you lose some, you gain some, you lose some, you gain some. We are currently 11 patrons away from the White Rocket Movie Review Podcast. 11. Exciting I, stuff. I said if we get to 150, we'll do it. And we are at 139. I, I had a blast doing the one movie review podcast with you, and I would love to do more. I mean, my wife isn't necessarily a big fan of that idea. but <laughs> I, I, Same here. We'll have to carve out a time and figure it out. But uh, it would be really nice because there's so many movies and there's so little time, and we just got stuff to talk about. All right, with that, speaking of too little time, 
Let's keep the ball rolling to 212 Acts of Sacrifice. This is one of those episodes that, as I've said before, I look at the title and I'm like, I have no clue what happens in this episode, right? There are some that I could tell you everything that happens. And there's some, especially in season two, I'm finding out. I'm just like, I don't know what happens this episode. So here's your summary. Jakar asks Sheridan to intervene militarily on behalf of the Narns against the Centauri. Ivanova tries to institute an ambassadorship with a visiting alien. Oh, does she ever. Jakar has to reestablish his leadership over the Narn aboard Babylon 5. And Londo tries to figure out why everybody is suddenly afraid of him. The original air date was February 22, 1995. So we are well into 95 now. This was another written by J. Michael Straczynski. There are still a few left that he didn't write, but I can only think of a handful off the top of my head. Uh, I've mentioned them before. I think we have one more Peter David episode and maybe one more Larry Dottilio episode for sure. Directed I'm by Jim Johnson. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Notable guest stars. I only listed three. Paul Williams as Tack. Ian Abercrombie as Corella Merzon, and Jeff Conaway is still a guest star as Zach Allen, security guy. I'm Zach Allen. More, more activism. Security guy. <laughs> yeah, he gets to do a little bit of stuff. So, All right. Do you have any factoids or notes about this interesting episode? I don't. The only, the only thing that I had was uh, Paul Williams as tech. I thought that I, I didn't remember that as being Paul Williams. I mean, you'd figure it would because, it, you know, he always plays the short guy that's really weird, and this was a short guy that was really weird. But I love the character. I thought that was pretty cool. I go even beyond that. I have, if, if this wasn't JMS doing a parody of Smokey and the Bandit, I don't know what it was. <laughs> this was so Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> Two guys come in, dressed the same, more or less, one of them is right. Paul Williams. The other is a taller guy, and they're yeah. ornery. <laughs> and Paul Williams does all the talking. I mean, I was expecting uh, Ivanova oh, to go. I'm going to need a speedy re- spaceship, and 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 Tyke would be like putting out some money, and she's like speedier than that, and she's putting out more money, and he she says speedier than that, and he says I'd like to punch her in the mouth just once, Daddy, and just putting that money out. That's Big Enos and Little Enos Burdett. Golly, that was oh, so that's weird. That's brilliant. I, I never saw that until you just mentioned it, because I love that movie. And uh, wow, that that's funny. I wanted a scene <laughs> where like Ivanova and Garibaldi went down to the Lumati quarters and were trying to get in, and they break something, and Garibaldi leaves a note on the door that says, Send Bill to Big Enos Burdett. B-R-B-U-R. <laughs> Hell, I got to go. <laughs> I can recite all of Smoking the Bandit, unfortunately. Oh, man. Yeah, that was what it was. Okay, a couple of things. The Jaquaneth plant gets a name drop. I think that's like the second and last time we ever hear about it. I may be wrong. You remember it, you yeah. remember it from uh, Parliament of Dreams, I think, maybe? I'm not sure. Absolutely, it was, yeah. It was the one he wanted the plant and Londo was going to smoke it or something. I don't know. Um, I don't right. know what a wishing stone is, but clearly it's contraband and highly illegal. But now I kind of want a wishing stone. Uh, I guess I wish for one. Uh, I have a note here. Delenn exposes Jakar's hypocrisy. We were feeling very sympathetic for Jakar at first as the Centauri are attacking his people. But Delenn points out that it wasn't that long ago he was talking about committing entire genocide on the Centauri. It, it's like if, you know, 
when the when the Red Army is rolling into Berlin, Hitler's like, oh, help me, there's these horrible people committing genocide. And you're like, dude, you're Hitler. You can't, cl- you can't play the genocide card. You're freaking Hitler. I'm like, Jakar, you just got through explaining about how you wanted to turn their bones into flutes for children. And now you're complaining that you're being treated badly. I mean... I mean, I was like, I was completely sympathetic to Jakar up until that moment. And then I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, he can't say, he really, you know what I mean? He, the shoe is on the other foot. Right. But I mean, he was coming, and he even said that in the discussion, he was coming from a place of being, you know, oppressed and repressed for a hundred and what, 150 years or a hundred years yeah, of, of living under the, the boot heel. So his, his anger was righteous. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about that. It's just that he, he... He has kind of shot himself in the jack-heeled boot a few times by going right. around talking about how he wants to kill every Centauri. And that that scene was a very important um, part of his growth as a character, yes. uh, of his character. I mean, that that made him become a little bit more introspective. And that plays out in this very episode. So Yeah. Yeah, we're... Yeah, it was, that, that was a neat scene. It's no secret that we're, we are witnessing the slow but steady evolution of Jakar from a one note, I want to kill all my enemies and bathe in their blood kind of guy to something else. And right. it's a painful, it's painful for him and it's painful for us to watch sometimes. Transformation. Right. Oh, that that, that last scene w- when Jakara left the meeting with, oh, with uh, it'll, uh, it'll come up again. and Sheridan was heart, heart-wrenching. Yeah. To, to, <laughs> to, to quote Tracy Morgan in 30 Rock, hard to watch. Um, let let <laughs> <laughs> his book uh, or his movie. Yeah, his movie was called Hard to Watch, which is a classic, classic, classic title. Um, Delenn explains what happened to start the Earthmenbari War. And I feel like we've heard some of it before, but I don't know if this was like the first time we got this much of the story. It is. It's the first time that they that she went into detail as to exactly what happened, yeah, from the Minbari perspective, because we get the, the yeah. Earth perspective later. That's, yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Um the Lumati, I gotta say, the Lumati love natural selection. They long that they love the idea of like social Darwinism and stuff. They would have made great allies for the shadows. You know who else they would have made great allies for? The United Federation of Planets. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to get that U two song uh, and put it in our show somehow without getting in trouble for copyrights. Where they talk about in the shadows. <laughs> Do, do, do in the shadows. Uh, as painful as the scene was, it was cool to see Londo and Garibaldi together again, but with Londo miserable and looking for anyone who cares about him. This really was an episode where we've, we've, we've seen Londo do a lot of stupid, stupid things, and we've gritted our teeth and been like, Londo, man, come on, come on. This episode, I felt like JMS wanted to step back and say, look, this is still the guy that you liked for the last season and a half. It's not just that he's being bad now. It's that it's a tragedy happening to him, and we should be empathetic a little bit toward him, don't you think? Absolutely. And that that scene when when he was talking to Garibaldi is one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Mm. Uh, This episode is one of my favorite episodes, but... uh, Particularly for that scene. I mean, it was again for different reasons than Jakar's scene. That scene was heart wrenching as well. You felt, I mean, that the pathos that that the actor put into that scene was unbelievable. I mean, it was it, it was very heart wrenching. So yeah, it, that it's yeah. And it, 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 
for those people that say, ah, skip the first season, that mm. scene would not have carried any weight at all if you had not watched the first season. That, would, that scene would not have done anything for you. But having watched the first season and grown to love the buffoonery that, you know, mm. Londo was, was often associated with and, and kind of, you know, he's the cuddly, avuncular, you know, crazy uncle uh, character. And, and you get all that in season one. And if you had skipped it, you know, this scene wouldn't have wouldn't have played on that at all. That's right. That's right. Because season one is where you have all the Londo and Garibaldi together scenes. And you don't you don't really right. see that in second season. You, right. you kind of forget it. This is such a pivotal moment, just like Jakar. This yeah. is a pivotal moment in in his his arc, and yeah. and you would have missed a, a the, the impact of that would have been almost nothing if you hadn't seen everything yeah. that developed in the first season. That's fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say we 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 forget how much Londo and Garibaldi kind of hung out together in the first season, in right? The, in the in the Zoclo and stuff. Yeah, they were tight, and you even and get Londo. Paying him back that money, They're, right? I was just going to say that they refer to that when when Lando drops the money in, in his yeah. pocket. How about that? Um, that didn't seem like any version of Natoth we've seen yet, and yet it was listed as and she, she was called Natoth later. Was that like mm-hmm. the the last, the most recent edition of Natoth, or was this? I just I don't know. I I you mean as far as the actress? Yeah. No, that was the same actress. Okay, Mary Kay Adams, I guess, or something. I yeah, know. yeah, All that's right. the same one that's been. Anyway, yeah. I mean. That is the most recent Natath for the past. She just uh, her delivery was a little bit different. Um, she was a little bit more assertive than than she had been in in the the, the last couple episodes we saw her. So yeah, okay. um, I, I thought she played the character a little bit better. Still not the same as, as you know the Julie Caitlin the, Brown, the other actress. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a spoiler too, but we'll get to that later. Um, I like that the Lumati were excited at the idea of creating their own down below situation on their own world. I'm not sure how that would be done, but uh, good luck to them. And then right. lastly, it's been asked many times, what was the deal with all the electric fans behind the Earth Force guy? Was his office just really hot? <laughs> you noticed all those fans? I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, JMS was asked, and he said something like, they, they put that scene together and filmed it when I was away doing something else. And he said, if I had been there, it wouldn't have been like that. So that yeah. was something that somebody did without his supervision, and he was like, what are you doing? So <laughs> pay no attention to the fans. It was a one-off. Maybe, it's the, maybe it was some kind of a commentary on the fans. Ooh, deep. <laughs> I did like the, uh, the, the, the uh, Lumati, the way that they're – uh, society was set up where you had the the main guy and then you had the the um, the lesser cast that acted spoke. as as his uh as a spokesperson that I thought that was pretty cool that was interesting I hadn't thought about it and again until you said it you make me think of things the scene a little bit later on that we're going to talk about the big scene from the big weird scene from this one just like the dream sequence in the previous one um, is about using sex to seal a deal. And people had asked JMS about if that was influenced by Larry Niven, because in the Ringworld, you know, known space stories, they do that. It's got a tar- it's got yep. a name called Rishathra. And JMS is like, that's not just Larry Niven. It's a lot of things. I was borrowing it from a lot of places, not just from Larry Niven. Um, but when you said that, um, it reminded me that they also have the cast that that can speak to aliens. Because they're lower cast. In the first Ringworld novel, the big Kazenti alien giant cat monster guy is named Speaker to Animals because he's not prestigious to have enough to have his own name. 
He's named after his job, which is to speak to humans, which they call animals. Uh, and you, you should note that that was also by Larry Niven. Exactly. That's that's kind of where I was going with that, and I made it and say it. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of Larry Niven stuff nibbling at the edges of this episode, rightly or wrongly. I All love right. the Kazinti. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I just had to stick that in there. And I know they've been claimed by another uh, uh, sci-fi television franchise, but um, <laughs> it would have been cool to see him in this one. They popped yeah. up on the animated Star Trek, right? They did. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because Larry Niven wrote an episode. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware that you were a Larry Niven fan, so we're always learning new things about each other. That's really cool. Right. I've got, back here behind me in the studio, I've got tons and tons of Larry Niven material. Yeah, I love Larry Niven. In fact, I can reach back about six inches and pull out In Space, Larry Niven Ooh. collection. I've got that one in Playgrounds of the Mind right behind me here. Very um, cool. So, we'll have to talk Larry Niven sometimes. Sue, and I do get to interview him about every other year at Dragon Con, which is awesome, because Larry's awesome. Um, is that is that going to be next year? Would that next year be the other year? <laughs> well, I didn't do it this year, so there's every opportunity, every possibility. It could be next year. That would be cool, yeah. It's like the first time it was just me and Larry Niven. The second time it was me and Jerry Purnell and Larry Niven. And, and bless his heart, Jerry died like two days after that. Oh, that was, I was the last person to moderate for him. And then the next time, it was Larry Niven and Stephen Barnes, and I'd already be, kind of come friends with Stephen Barnes by that point because I'd done a couple of conventions with him. So, so I got to do the, do them three different times. So this time would be number four, I guess, and I'm, I certainly hope so because Dragon Con loves to have him. Um, yeah, I, I, understandably so. Yeah, he's great. Let's see uh, a couple of things from JMS. He says, I just was working on Acts of Sacrifice script, which contains probably the funkiest, weirdest sequence I've ever written. Full tilt wacko. I would agree, JMS. At the start of year one, Claudia came to me and said she'd love to do more funny stuff in her role. Don't change anything in the story. Just let her have some fun, some fun here and there, which I would say she did in season one, before all hell breaks loose in all capital letters. I let her have that. So she basically asked for it, and that's what she got. Uh, he says, as it happens, I made it a point to be on set the day we shot what we call, what we ended up calling the Ivanova dance. Wanted to make sure it was done correctly. We only had to shoot it about three times, only in the master, no coverage. The crew was absolutely breathless after the first take from keeping from laughing. It was very funny. Uh, and then there's a bit about Larry Niven. It goes back to way before that. And then to the question raised... Yes, if Sheridan had been the one to show the Lumati around, the request would have been made to him as it was to Ivanova. Oh! Wow. Yeah. Because we kind of had the feeling that uh, the main Lumati guy had the hots for Susan, didn't we? Yeah, that's when it came across, which I found interesting, seeing as they're two entirely different species. Mm-hmm. Well, next time they'll do it uh, Lumati style, and we'll find out, I guess. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and one other thing, JMS said, Londo's a fascinating character to explore and the most careful balancing act of the bunch. Part of the character's appeal is on a very fundamental level. You like him, and you don't want to see him on this terrible slide downward. So every so often, you have to pull back and go in a different direction to remind us of his basic humanity and potential for heroism. He is really any of us caught in a web of events spinning more and more out of control every day. And that's what we were just yeah. saying a minute ago, right? Yeah. Very good. Very good. So and, JMS and is on the same I, wavelength. I, I do want to say I say often that that uh, Babylon Five broke ground and and gave us the the awesome TV shows that we have today were because Babylon Five broke that ground. And the primary one that I use as as an example is Breaking Bad. 
Yes. And the main character from Breaking Bad has almost an identical story arc to Londo Moral- Molari. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and and they do the exact uh, exactly what what uh, you just quoted right there. They do that. That could be uh, the Walter White's story arc from from Breaking Bad. I mean, they they almost used what Jameis said right there as a playbook. That's true. Now I'm suddenly thinking of Jesse as being either Lanier or Veer. <laughs> Lanier has to go cook the meth. Oh boy. I'm sorry, uh, Delenn, but Londo has me cooking meth today. <laughs> it's a very important job from back on old Earth. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I like to see Garibaldi tracking down meth heads and down below. Right. Uh, yeah. that, and by the way, that's one thing about down below is that it's 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 seedy uh, underbelly of Babylon Five in a very Babylon Five way. If this were any other show, down below would be like, you don't go down there, you get your throat cut. You know what I'm saying? Right. They just casually go down there and look upon the homeless. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, like look, there's some homeless. Yeah, like it's a freaking <laughs> zoo. And I'm like, if this were anything but Babylon 5, they'd you know, get murdered before they took right. three steps by the drug dealers right. and the crime lords, you know. But crime lords on Babylon 5 are fairly bloodless and, and nice guys, you know, to a certain right. degree. So. Yeah, I, I I thought that was strange that Ivanova took a a, a a new alien species, a dignitary from a new alien species, down to the most dangerous part of Babylon Five without any sort of security escort or anything. I'm like, wow, Susan, you must have supreme confidence in your abilities. <laughs> well, the Lumatian wanted to score some street drugs from down below, apparently, and uh, I wonder if they saw the saw Nagrath. That would have been a cool scene of Lumati talking to Nagrath, you know. That, that would have been interesting. That would have been fun. All right, let's hit it. What was your high point of this episode? High point? Uh, every scene with Jakar. Every Touchdown! Scene with Jakar. Bingo! Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That is correct. This is the answer. I have on my Part- board. Particular? Every Jakar scene. Boom. Right. Particularly his speech to the other Narn when he was trying to get them to understand where he was coming from. Yep. Because he just gets... There's one point where he gets so angry... And then he brings himself down, and, and it was just phenomenally the, the delivery there was just astounding. Um, and, and that was just one example. That was that was my favorite scene. But anything with Jakar in this episode was spectacular. This is one. I'll, I'll spoiler. This is one of my favorite episodes of Babylon Five. Um, it deals with two of my favorite characters, important parts of their story arc, um, and and Jakar stole this show. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say Jakar is disturbing enough when he's shouty when he starts whispering now you're in trouble <laughs> you right. know and he'll he, do the, he'll switch from one to the other in the same sentence yes he'll start out shouting and finish off oh yeah deadly quiet oh andreas man yeah andreas katsulis ladies and gentlemen <sighs> oh here we go low point of the episode i almost am afraid to ask uh, the centauri goon the the bad guy the centauri oh. in the bar he was uh, so the very first scene with him was so over the top ridiculous. I mean, it was like it was it was it was pretty bad. Well, I, I know what you were it, thinking. It doesn't matter. He will not be missed. He has no right. family back home. <laughs> Screw him. Right. <laughs> I, I think I know what you what, what you were thinking. I was going to say, and that's actually one of my other one of my other categories. <laughs> I debated this at length, my friend. And I said, you know, it's not that it's a bad, bad scene. 
it's just one that I know is coming and I know it's coming. And when it gets there, I just want to hide under the chair until it's over. But yet I cannot look away because the way that Claudia Christian carries that little performance, the look on her face, the look in her eye, you're like, man, ma'am. You know what I'm saying? She like, she sells it. She's speaking some truth there. There is some Claudia's tapping into something in her personal life and a, and a couple of those those uh, uh, quotes in that song. I'm <laughs> fanning myself. <laughs> that I loved that scene. I loved wow. it when I first saw it. I love it every time I see it. I loved it when I watched it this last. Time. I just got to say, I remember the the wackiness of it, uh-huh. the, the, but I always forget the look in her eye. Andy, good gosh. Wow. I, 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 was, I just, I, I don't know what to say. There it is. All I was right. so looking forward to this episode just because I wanted to get your reaction. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's one of the greatest scenes or one of the worst or both. Yes. But, but all that aside, and by the way, for those that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about when Susan is supposed to seal a deal with sex with the Lumati, and so she has to think of a way out of it without messing things up, and so she pretends like Earth-style sex is dancing around the guy and singing a song and a clever little nursery rhyme, basically, you didn't call, you didn't write, you know, whatever. And he's like, what do I do now? And she's like, well, old-style you what, roll over and go to sleep or something? New style, you go for pizza and never come (laughs) back or something. (laughs) (sighs) Nice. I love that scene. That's something else. I don't even know what to do with it. Um, Did you have have an Orenzento overacting award this time? Because I have one thing. All right, I have one thing, and it's not Susan. She did not overact there. She acted, and that was what the scene called for. I can't falter for that. And she put stuff into it again. I'm, it's, Wow, but um, my uh, overacting award goes to all goes to Andreas and his antagonist, the other Narn, when they have their fight. Because yeah. I thought their Narn fight technique was a little cringy. It was. I I agree. Maybe that's why we didn't really see them fight in the Mutai. <laughs> oh. It would have done irreparable damage, irreparable damage to the reputations of the Narn that they go out in the Mutai right. and they're like they look crouched down, a little growling and moving yeah. their arms around, and they're in a crouch. And I'm just like, oh no, Jakar, that's not. Tell me that's not like Narn karate or something. Because <laughs> sure I'll you. give you that. That was uh, as much as I love Andreas, and I don't know if he came up with that or if that's just something that he was directed to do. But yeah, that was a little, uh, little silly. I felt like somebody on the set, maybe him, maybe not, suggested, why don't you crouch and do like a, you're part animal. You know what I'm saying? You're part animal. You're growling. You're kind of down low near the ground. And I'm like, it would have been so much better if he'd just been cool and just kind of like stood there like, you know, the Matrix or something and done. I don't know. But anyway, that's what I think of Jakar. So, Uh, most Babylon 5 scene. Uh, For me, this this may come come across as a little strange to you, but... Um, when the new alien species was discussing with uh, Dr. Franklin about how they treat 
the aliens and how Dr. Franklin was all about, yeah, I'm trying to save their lives. And the other aliens like, well, that's terrible. We, we have a complete non-interference here. We shouldn't interfere with how they do things. The reason why I think that is a Babylon five scene is because it is so anti star Trek and so anti prime directive that yeah. has to have been inserted in there <laughs> specifically as a dig against the competition. Yeah. I like it. I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, yeah. I like it. That's good. Uh, my most Babylon 5 scene was Jakar trying to persuade John and Delenn to help, which is basically it's just kind of the high politics of the Babylon 5 universe where you're like, you know, my ar- my th- their army's attacking my planets. I need your armies to help my armies and whatever and whatever. And they really wanted to help, but it just shows how your hands can be tied sometimes. And by the way, this was the first episode so far that I felt like, John and Delenn were having kind of a human connection, so to speak, that they were like starting to kind of enjoy talking to each other. Yeah, I yep, thought so. I agree. And, and Delenn, the past couple of episodes, has come across as increasingly more human, um, just in mm. her reactions to everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, like in this one, her emotions when she's talking to Jakar, I mean, compare that to the first time mm-hmm. in the pilot episode when, when Jakar came in and talked to her. I mean, it, entirely different. Entirely different. Entirely different. So, she yeah. about crushed him. <laughs> right, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what was your favorite character moment? Favorite character moment was uh, Londo talking in the bar with um, uh, Garibaldi and, and later waiting for Garibaldi to show up when he did not. Um, like yeah. I said, this was one of my favorite yeah. scenes in the entire series. Um, it was just so powerful. He's one of my favorite characters. This arc is so tragic. Um, I'm drawn to the tragic arcs. This one was so tragic. In that particular scene, I hurt for that man in that scene. I mean, I, I it it made my heart clench up. I, I felt so bad for him. The writing, the acting, everything was just almost overwhelming. The emotions. I don't disagree with any of that, but I have a feeling this is going to be one of our wider disagreements over ranking, but we'll rating, but we'll see. We'll see. My favorite character moment was when Jakar left the meeting. I thought yours was great, but when Jakar left the meeting with Sheridan and Delenn and learns he won't be getting any kind of an alliance and he's in agony. He's also in physical agony. He's been stabbed with a poison blade. He can barely walk. And now he's had this terrible emotional blow. He's realized his people are really screwed and he starts to laugh and cry and laugh and cry in only the way that Andreas could do. And it absolutely is yep. as powerful as anything. Absolutely. It, this is another one of those episodes where several of these categories could have had multiple, yeah. easily multiple uh, choices. For sure. And, and the character, this, this episode was filled with, with powerful character moments. So, yeah. This, it was. I, in fact, this, I'm going to go so far as to say that the whole thing with the Lumati distracts from that. It's like the A plot is the comedy relief in this episode and the actual, you know, like the B and C plots are the actual drama. Right. Agreed. Yeah, there's there's several episodes where where the priorities are a little skewed. Yeah, I I think Ivanova's uh, uh, plot should have definitely been the C plot. And it, but you agree it was kind of like the A plot. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It seemed like it was put out to the front. It it was a good I mean it was a good character development moment for Ivanova because this is yet more um, responsibility given to her by by Sheridan so mm-hmm. it helps develop her she's becoming more and more like like Sinclair in the way she mm-hmm. deals with things yes um, and, and I mean she's now at the same rank as he was and now she's doing right. a lot of the same responsibilities so I, I thought that was kind of kind of cool yeah yeah I know it makes sense that Sheridan would have other priorities and would have her doing a lot of the commander stuff. I thought that makes 100% make sense, yeah. 
Right. And in fact, if I were Sheridan, I would have Ivanova be the person to go to the council meetings and sit there in the earth spot because she's got more experience at it than he does, and she's been on the station a lot longer, and she's got the same rank as the last person that sat there for him. So why not? Right. You know. Right. Plus, a lot of them don't like Sheridan at this point. They think of him as Star Killer. <laughs> right. You know. So why? You know. Uh, my uh, all right. Funniest moment because I've got one finally. <laughs> there weren't a it lot in these be- two. It has to be the whole the whole alien sex scene. I I laughed just as hard this time as I have every other time. I just love that scene and and her reaction when he when he originally proposes you know sealing the deal with sex. Her reaction was like sex. Like <laughs> what? I laughed I laughed at that. But when she did that dance, I man that. That, that's going to go down in history as one of the greatest TV moments ever. <laughs> I can I can think of at least two other Babylon Five characters that wish they could do a trade deal with Ivanova. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, my funniest moment was before that when Ivanova asks Franklin what she should do, and he says, and I quote, <laughs> I quote. You could put a bag over his head and do it for Babylon 5, unquote. <laughs> Good what, gosh, Stephen. What makes that so funny is that came from Stephen, who is a oh, notorious God. womanizer. So you know that one was coming from the heart. This is something that Stephen has done in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wish Susan had fired back with, is that how you normally do it, Stephen? <laughs> Or is that like move number four for you when the first three don't work? You know what I'm saying? Oh, boy. Those two. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Here we go. Who won the episode? Uh, I have Ivanova won the yeah. episode because she uh, she came out no uh, on top. I mean, she, she completed the mission. She got away with, you know, the, the whole – came up with the whole – different way of handling the the alien sex scene without having sex with him. I mean, I I thought she definitely won this one. Yeah, uh, no doubt. No doubt it was Ivanova. I said, I think everybody else just survived this episode. (laughs) She's the one that came out on top for sure. Yeah, I mean the the other the other characters all lost. I think. I mean, Jakar definitely lost. Um, uh, not Garibaldi, but uh, Londo lost. And I mean, heck, even even Delenn and Sheridan were, were frustrated with with their lack of of uh, being able to help Jakar out or the Narns out. So, yeah, yeah Susan kind of wins by default. And there was somebody on the station wanting to have sex, and Franklin wasn't invited. <laughs> uh, I'm, all right, I'll stop giving Franklin crap. I'm sorry. We've 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 beaten that poor horse to death, so I'll stop doing that. Um, all right, here we go. Before we wrap this one up, you've all been waiting for what is your rating? For this episode, I'm cringing. I'm closing my eyes. What is your rating, Andy? Tell us. Four stars, baby. I love this one. <laughs> Four oh, come on. Big J- stars. Jakar, Jakar's arc and Londo's arc both combined are just awesome. And then you throw that dancing at the end, that alone is worth a half a star. That's, so that's what cut a couple of stars <laughs> off of it for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree that some parts of this are are are, are pretty far up there but the whole thing together to me is a two a two and the only reason the only reason i told you we were going to have a difference on this one the only reason i'm giving it as two is for jakar it would have been like a one (laughs) wow so yeah jakar elevated it to that's amazing and this uh, another reason this one ranks high for me is we have um 
uh, Dr. Franklin being peak Dr. Franklin. <laughs> he, he gets into the, the philosophical discussion. He gets all uppity with, with the he alien does. guy about, about uh, ethics. And then he also gets to you know do the, the whole uh, womanizing <laughs> thing when he was giving advice to, to uh, oh, So, yeah, he, this, is, this was a – even though he was only in it just a little bit, it's, it's still peak bigs. You you make great arguments. I just there's no way I can give more than two to this particular episode with what we've still got to go. So it gets a two. All right, now we're about to go into spoiler space. I got a couple of things to say. Andy might have a thing or two too. We'll see. But I just go ahead and take this opportunity to point out on our next episode we will be covering two thirteen Hunter Prey, which I do remember the a plot of that one. Interestingly enough, just because of the name of it kind of sparks a memory. And we will be reviewing 214, There All the Honor Lies. And that is another one I have no clue what happens in it. That name doesn't mean anything to me. But I think it's the other Peter David episode. I'm not sure who wrote it. I, I, I do remember the episode. I don't remember who wrote it. I'm going to go on a wild uh, Google search. I mean a wild uh, limb. <laughs> And and look and say that it is. Yeah, it was directed by Mike Vigier and written by Peter David. It's the other of the two right. Peter David episodes. And from the little picture that popped up on the Lurker's Guide, I can tell you that there is one line spoken in this episode coming up that I can remember. And it goes something like this, Andy. It goes, one moment of perfect beauty. That's coming up. And that's a cool scene. Yep. That's a cool scene. Yep. Apropos of nothing, but it's a cool scene. Now we have to give the warning. Jump gate activated. All right, we have entered spoiler space, so if you don't want to hear any of them spoilers, go ahead and eject now, like a like your engine compartment on your uh, on your Star Fury is radiating you badly, and you got to get out of there before <laughs> it explodes. Go ahead and hit eject. All right, I got a couple. Uh, I, I, I was going to say, isn't it odd that the military cast is less willing to go to war than the religious cast, considering they're the freaking military cast? We talked about that, but, of course, as we know later, the military cast never does go to war. It's the religious cast, start to finish, that does the whole war. Right. It's crazy. It's and, just weird. And with the, um, the religious cast, or I'm sorry, the, the military cast gets a little pissy about it when the religious cast stops the war. Because yes. he was, Nerun was all like, when I found out why, I was, I almost laughed. I mean, it was, you know, he was like, I wanted to, to kick some more butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they were mad the religious caste stopped a war, but now they're mad the religious caste is trying to start a war. Make up your dang mind, Nerun, for crying out loud. And this is, by the way, we know we're going to see Nerun a few more times. And then the actor, John Vickery, pops up again on Crusade. So we got... We got a lot more. We got a lot more John Vickery to go. That's pretty cool. Um, oh, the other thing about the dream I wanted to mention is there was one other thing that we do know that came from this dream. I don't know if we ever figured out eighty percent of this dream ever, but we do find out who the man in between is that's looking for him. Do you remember that? Who's that? I don't. The guy on Zaha Doom that talks to Sheridan when when uh, Morden and Anna are standing there. He's the man in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. He is looking for Sheridan because he knows Sheridan poses a threat to the shadows. To the shadows. Do, 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 in the shadows. Yeah. Um, Oh, oh, oh. You brought this about. I typed this frantically a while ago. You you know, you pointed out that when Kosh communicates, he was showing Sheridan his friends. 
I refer you to 406 into the fire where the Vorlons communicate their side of the war by projecting themselves as Sheridan's friends. Oh, yeah. Look at that. See, I didn't even, I don't even know how smart I am sometimes, man. That's it. You absolutely. Um, I'm going to say, because we mentioned this, I feel like this is the first episode where Lanier's devotion to Delenn went beyond respectful and approached creepy. Now, you, you mentioned yeah. this a little bit, but I wanted to point out, yeah. we know this does not end well. Right. This does not end well. I imagine that people listening to the pre-spoiler part heard us having that first half of this conversation, and they're like, oh, how sweet, right? And we're right. over here going, no, no, <laughs> this is very bad. This is so bad. No, Lanier, no. Find you a nice young initiate and t- take her to the third faint of Chidomo with you. Do not do not fall in love with Delin. Nothing good can come from this, Lanier. Oh, man. No. Yeah. So it's like when we watched this episode the first time, our reaction is, oh, Lanier's so sweet. We watch that episode now and we go, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, I was horrified. Right, and we've all had friends that we wanted to say something like that to, watching them, you know, date the stripper or something like that. It's like, no, don't do that. But you know, you just kind of, kind of got to go with the flow. So, folks that are listening to this and haven't seen it, but they just want, they don't care. They're listening to spoilers anyway. They now think that Lanier becomes a stripper, Andy. So, good job, way to go. <laughs> You've thrown them off, or maybe it's Delin that becomes a stripper. I can see right, Lanier a stripper right. before Delin, though. <laughs> Um, I could definitely see I could definitely see Londo getting Lanier to be a stripper before before I, Delenn would ever that win. that is a lost episode that should have been <laughs> done. Should. And you know who wrote it? It's got to be a Larry. That's a Larry episode. <laughs> oh man. Um, let's see. The only other th- uh, yeah, too bad Sheridan. Well, I guess Sheridan does interact with Talon in the fifth season because Talon has a little role to play in the fifth season. He pops up again here and there. And he's in like five other episodes. Yeah. Well, I know that in like the fifth season, he basically takes Jakar's place as ambassador. Right, yeah. Yeah. Though it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I think that's right, yeah. yeah I want well, to th- say that the samurai sword, Marshall Teague owned it, and he brought it to the set, and they said, oh, yeah, you, you carry that around, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I think that Marshall Teague brought it to help him get into the character of, of Talon as a, as a Narn samurai. That and it clearly worked, because he's a great character. He did, he did a great job. He, yeah. he did a much better job as Ceylon than he did as the infected dude. <laughs> the infected dude. I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I have a Babylon 5 CCG card that says the infected dude. That would be so cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, last thing, I don't think the Lumati. You mentioned this. We never hear from I think, right? The Lumati, we never hear from him again. This is it. No, we don't. Yep, I swear. It. I wish they'd popped up as shadow allies. And then and like uh, Ivanova would be like, but I thought you were with us. And they're like, oh, these guys have got it going on, man. They're right. so cool. <laughs> you kidding? The shadows and the Lumati are just like that. You know, I'm holding my fingers right. together. They're just like that. Um, and then final observation, what color coat was Londo wearing in this episode? Did you notice? It was black. And he his wardrobe gets darker as his character does. Yeah, yeah the purple one is toast, I believe, at this point. Yeah. I don't think we see yeah. the purple one again. No. But that's too bad because, as he famously said, in purple, I'm stunning. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm out of stuff. Do you have any spoilers you want to throw in there? 
I, you know, I thought of one right when we came into spoiler space, but it flitted away, and I have no idea. So, that's my fault. I'll, I'll probably, yeah, that's all right. I'm sorry. I try to move us, it, move us along, so we can all go to bed. It's my right. fault. It's my fault. We run long. It's my fault when I make you forget stuff, and I, I accept that uh, responsibility. It's just part of the cost of doing business. That's that's fine. This this episode was so much fun. You are forgiven. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And and like I I started the episode by forgetting something because I had this great idea for a, an extra episode we could do, and I don't remember at all what it was. But I'm sure I'm going to think of it as soon as we're gone, and I'll send you a I'll send you a message. So cool. All right. So like I said, coming up next we have a Peter David one. We have Hunter Prey, which I believe gets into the uh, President Clark assassination a little bit. It's about time we revisit that, which will be cool. Right. And at that point, when we do those two, we're pretty much two-thirds of the way through season two. Right. It's it's taking longer and for us to get through because we're only doing two instead of three. But right. we're zooming right along, Andy. We are. It's we're, we're I mean it we are ramping up for some serious stuff coming up soon. It's coming up, man. We've got um yeah. we got Comes the Inquisitor and Fall of Night up in the just in the over the horizon, and I'm so excited. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yeah. All right, man. The Babylon Five, the White Rocket Babylon Five review podcast is going to get out of here for another another episode. We will be back in two weeks. Remember, you can access these by becoming a patron through the Patreon.com page. You can access them a few days early, or get them at uh, through any podcast app on Monday mornings every other week under White Rocket Babylon Five review. So, Andy, we will see you soon. All right. Take care, sir. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.